Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, my very special guest is Dr. David Clark. He is a gastroenterologist specializing in the diagnosis and the treatment of illness linked to various forms of stress. He's also a president of the Psychophysiological Disorders Association. He's an assistant director of the Center of Ethics at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, and also a clinical assistant professor of gastroenterology, amateurs. So welcome, Dr. David Clark. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Great to be with you. Excellent. So we're just going to start right a long time ago. Um, at your start. So where did you grow up? Which college and university did you go to for medicine? I uh, went to University of Connecticut uh, School of Medicine and followed that up with Harbor UCLA Medical Center for uh, my residency and fellowship. Okay. So you did you go directly into gastroenterology at the start? Yes. I'm very traditionally trained. Uh, I really had no idea back then that I was going to become so involved with uh, psychophysiologic disorders. Uh, and in fact, two thirds of my practice was, you know, very normal gastrointestinal work, uh, putting endoscopes inside people, stopping hemorrhaging ulcers, removing stuck gallstones, biopsying tumors, all that sort of thing. But the other third of my practice, uh, which is totaled over 7,000 patients, were people whose symptoms were not explained by diagnostic tests. So how did you find yourself taking an interest in that aspect? Well, it really started with one patient who had been uh, severely ill for a couple of years. She was a woman in her mid-30s, and she came to us at UCLA where I was uh, in training, and we couldn't, you know, we did some very specialized testing, which turned out to be normal, just like all of her other tests. And I accidentally uh, uncovered the fact that she had been under a, a severe amount of stress. I didn't know what to do with that information at the time, but there was a psychiatrist there at UCLA who became something of a mentor for me. And uh, her name was Harriet Kaplan, and she was able to cure that patient uh, with counseling alone uh, in less than three months, which was uh, remarkable to me. I, nothing in my training up to that point even indicated that such a thing was possible. And so I decided, you know, I should uh, learn something about this since it will likely come up uh, perhaps a few times a year. And then when I got into practice, I found out that it was a few times a week and then it was five or six times a week. And then I was doing, you know, 90% of the second opinions for my department of 12 other gastrointestinal physicians. And it just kind of uh, exploded from there. So what would you say your biggest challenge is in this field? 
you know, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, the, the clinical challenge is to uncover the psychosocial stress that a particular patient is struggling with. Um, the reason that this has been so much of a blind spot in the healthcare system falling in between the expertise of both medical and mental health professionals is that most many patients can't articulate the the real stress that they're struggling with so that's that's the clinical challenge the the system challenge is to try to get the healthcare system to recognize that this condition exists that psychosocial stresses of various kinds are fully capable of causing real symptoms that can be every bit as severe as those caused by organ diseases or structural abnormalities, and to change the system in a way that involves medical and mental health professionals in an integrated way uh, in the delivery of care. And that's what I've spent most of the last 10 years trying to do is to educate um, healthcare professionals on both sides of the mind-body divide uh, to try to work together uh, to produce better outcomes uh, for these patients, which is, you know, eminently possible. I mean, the, the uh, difficult clinical situations that these patients present uh, can be successfully diagnosed and treated um, every bit as successfully as uh, organ diseases and structural abnormalities. Yeah, that's certainly something I've come to realize as well in my practice. And the more we dive into this world of mind-body interconnection, um, there are actually solutions, there are actually options and, and treatments that can really benefit them. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, say a, a typical patient comes in to see you and it's one of these, um, say a pain presentation, say the abdomen. Um, so what kind of thing would, are you looking for in this patient? You know, what kind of questions are you asking them? Well, I do what I call a stress evaluation and that has five parts to it. Uh, it starts uh, with you know, an evaluation of the patient's uh, chronology of their symptoms, when and where they started, and what their uh, progress has been over time. And then I look to see, you know, is the person under stress at the moment? Is there something going on in their life right now uh, that's a challenge for them? Uh, a subset of that is, are they the kind of person that takes care of everybody else in their world? Um, but has difficulty putting themselves on the list of people that they take care of. Um, you know, these are folks that uh, if they get five or 10 minutes of free time, they start looking around for something useful and constructive they can do rather than something enjoyable for themselves. And after a while, that uh, lifestyle can catch up with you when the body starts to protest. But probably the single biggest uh, area that I look into is whether the individual experienced stress as a child. And the, probably the most uh, straightforward summarizing question there is whether the individual went through experiences uh, growing up that they wouldn't want their own children to go through. And this can be out and out abuse, it can be lack of support, it can be neglect, it can be never feeling like uh, anything you did was good enough for your parents, it, it can be bullying at school, violent neighborhoods, substance abuse by the parents, a death or imprisonment or, or divorce uh, or you know, other form of loss of a parent, any of a variety of, of negative experiences that people can have growing up can have a long-term impact uh, that can last you know, decades um, into adulthood. All kinds of um, personality characteristics from people who emerge from those environments and, and physical symptoms uh, as well. 
Uh, and then the final three areas that I look into are uh, garden variety mental health conditions that can be missed by the healthcare system because they, they present themselves to the system not as a mental health issue, but as a physical symptom. And depression does this commonly, post-traumatic stress does this commonly, and the anxiety disorders uh, do this commonly, where they, they mainly present themselves as a physical symptom, person goes to the doctor, tests are done, nothing shows up, um, but the individual doesn't feel that, that depressed, they don't necessarily feel uh, that anxious, and they may not connect their symptoms with the trauma that they went through when they have PTSD. And so it's very easy for a physician who's not uh, clued into this to miss it completely. Right. So you've, you've got your stress evaluation questionnaire that you go through, and you dive in, you, you get to know the patient, you connect with the patient, you build up a rapport with the patient. And then, you know, how much has clinical exam got to do with this? Um, well, it does. You always want to do um, the uh, diagnostic tests and the physical exam uh, that are necessary to be sure that there's no organ disease or structural abnormality. You know, certainly anybody who's been through uh, lots of stress is, that uh, doesn't make you immune to having an ulcer or a gallstone or a tumor. So we need to make sure that those things are not present. Uh, some of the clues that I get um, that it's stress-related from the physical exam are when the symptom is located in a very small area. Um, most abdominal pain that's coming from something inside the abdomen uh, tends to be smeared out uh, over a fairly broad area just because, uh, as you know, the uh, number of uh, neurons inside the abdomen are relatively sparse and you can't get a precise signal about where the pain is coming from. So when a patient tells me that their pain is coming from an area that's say a, you know, a silver dollar in size, for example, which I see fairly commonly, that's not likely to be coming from something inside the abdomen. So that's a, that's a clue. Um, another uh, example of the uh, clue that the physical exam can give you is when the patient is telling you the symptom is very severe, that they're desperate, that they can't take the pain anymore, uh, that, that they're begging me to do something for them. And then on the physical exam, um, the, uh, I'm not finding very much uh, in terms of severity, particularly if I examine the area and then examine other areas and then come back to the painful area and I find that it's just not that severely tender. Um, that's um, a clue that this is probably stress-related. Okay, so you've taken a comprehensive history, you've examined the patient, you've done your tests, tests have come back negative, there's nothing organic or physical you have identified, and then you move on to the treatment. So what kind of treatment options uh, are you providing your patients? Well, we want to tailor the treatment uh, to the specific stress or stresses that the individual is suffering from. You know, if they are in a you know, very simple example, a domestic violence situation, and that domestic violence situation has been going on for a period of time corresponding to the length of time of the symptoms, uh, then it's pretty clear that we need to do something about uh, that relationship uh, or the symptoms are going to continue. A more complex situation is the individual who is uh, experiencing the long-term impact of stress from when they were children, and there, you know, there are a number of um, interventions we want to do there, starting with helping people recognize that um, they've truly done a heroic thing by having survived that early adversity. 
uh, one of the long-term impacts of uh, what we call ACEs or adverse childhood experiences is uh, impact on your self-esteem, making you feel like you're a second-rate human being. And I want people to realize that actually the opposite is the case, that somebody who's been through that kind of experience and who's survived it and has made a life for themselves, uh, to me, they fit the definition of a hero. You know, a hero is somebody who's overcome a difficult physical or mental challenge for a good cause. And I want people not to think of themselves as, as second rate or as, you know, somehow less worthy than other people. I want them to see that they've really done something uh, truly remarkable. They, they didn't wind up in that childhood adversity through any fault of their own, but they deserve a lot of credit for uh, having come, uh, come through that and, and survived it and made something of themselves uh, in spite of it. Uh, so helping uh, change that self-image is a, a key foundation. Um, if they are having difficulty with their uh, self-care skills, if they're not somebody that uh, knows how to take a break or do something enjoyable uh, on a regular basis, I want them to learn that skill. That turns out to be something essential for human beings to know, uh, to, to set aside the needs of everybody else uh, in your life and just put yourself on the list of people you take care of uh, on a regular basis. So that's, a, that's another important skill. Um, additional um, areas of this are, are for people to know that uh, when they are experiencing physical symptoms connected to childhood adversity, it almost always means that there are some negative emotions that they have repressed and that they're not always consciously aware of the presence of those emotions. And I wanna to try to bring those to the surface. I want people to recognize that those are there. Um, one of the common techniques that I'll use is to ask people to imagine their own child experiencing the same adversity that they went through, even for just a week. Um, and when people think about that, when they do that thought experiment of having their own child or a child that they care about going through that same adversity, it starts to connect them uh, much more accurately with the emotions that are, uh, that are repressed, that are buried, that are being expressed via their bodies. And once those emotions are brought into conscious awareness, um, then we can start talking about them. Uh, the patients can start writing about them in a journal or in a, perhaps a letter that isn't mailed, but a letter that is written uh, to the ACE uh, perpetrators. And by converting the bodily expression of emotion into written expression of emotion or spoken expression of emotion, the symptoms start to improve. Exactly. Yeah, that's something that I've recently been encouraging my patients to. One of the options is, is to journal, and the evidence is certainly there for, for several decades now of you know, positive health outcomes that um, come of these type of experiences. So I think it's just a way of just expressing yourself out when before there was no avenue for that and it's all bottled up, it's all kept within and therefore having that physiological uh, manifestations of symptoms. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, that's very, very helpful. Um, now you mentioned a couple of times ACE, you know, um, I'm aware of the ACE study and you know, the, do you want to just comment on that? Because that's a landmark study regarding childhood trauma, introducing this whole concept that um, we need to be looking at in medicine. Um, would you like to comment on that? Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. It's a landmark. Uh, for me, it's the most important public health study of uh, our generation. It was 
published uh, by Felitti and Anda, uh, were the co-authors, uh, American Journal of Preventive Medicine in 1998. And what they did was they took um, people who were coming in for routine checkups, a uh, total of 18,000 of them, so enormous study, um, had them go through a computer-based questionnaire that asked them uh, originally about seven areas of adversity in childhood. Now, more recently, it's uh, 10 questions about uh, adversity in childhood. And then they, uh, they connected um, the uh, positive responses to that questionnaire with uh, health outcomes that occurred to people as adults. And what they found was that about uh, one patient in six had four or more of the adverse childhood experiences. Now, four or more is, is a really large number. Uh, it's a really significant uh, burden of adversity. And that fraction of the population suffered enormous negative consequences to their health. Their, their incidence of using IV drugs, for example, was 10 times higher than the group that had no ACEs in their background. Uh, alcoholism was five times higher, committing domestic violence five times higher, um, obesity, uh, unexplained physical symptoms, uh, living in poverty, um, divorce, um, multiple sexual partners. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And then they found also that it seems like childhood adversity uh, activates the body's uh, inflammatory system and can contribute to organ diseases as well, not just psychosocial outcomes, but diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and autoimmune disease were all higher, even after you corrected uh, for um, other risk factors. So, um, you know, huge, huge long-term impact. The average age of the, their population was 51. So these are people who are decades removed from the adversity, and it was still having a negative impact. And, you know, one the, the summation of all this is that the people with four or more ACEs uh, had a 20 years shorter life expectancy than the people with no ACEs. So it's, it's a, a huge uh, issue and very uh, much uh, amenable to uh, intervention. We can help people with these uh, long-term impacts in a way that I'm, I'm convinced is going to change their health outcomes. So you've said in the last 10 years, you've kind of committed your career to this aspect. And obviously, it's a massive need in our medical community to bring awareness of these issues so we can help more people. You know, how have you actually got on with that progression in 10 years? Like, what's the comparison of 10 years ago to now in the bigger scale of things? Well, it's, uh, it's reaching a tipping point, And I think the opioid epidemic uh, is a big part of that. Uh, there are 15,000 people uh, in the United States alone that uh, die from prescription narcotics, uh, you know, not illegal narcotics, but ones that are prescribed. Uh, and the uh, healthcare system is finally uh, taking notice of that and looking desperately for alternatives. And the uh, psychosocial treatment of uh, stresses that are capable of causing chronic pain and, and other symptoms um, is going to be a big part of the future of uh, opioid-free management of, of chronic pain. And people are recognizing that. And there's, there's also a parallel movement toward integrating uh, mental and behavioral health uh, into primary care. And the mental and behavioral health professionals that are going to be working alongside doctors uh, in this new system are going to have the expertise to do these stress evaluations that I spoke about earlier 
uh, and that's going to make for, uh, for much better outcomes. So um, the information that I provide about how to do a stress evaluation and the, the range of symptoms that can be created uh, through psychosocial stress uh, has become um, very much in demand. I mean, I'm teaching at uh, three different graduate schools. I'm asked to give uh, presentations all over North America and Europe. I've been involved with uh, three different documentary films uh, about this subject. Um, I'm teaching in a uh, internal medicine residency program. Uh, you know, the interest in it is um, just uh, taking off, and it's it's been wonderful to see. Well, thank you so much for for your um, commitment to to this bigger cause, and um, I can definitely relate. In my shorter practice of 17, 18 years, I've gone through a similar experience of seeing the, the overuse of narcotics and negative outcomes of my patients, unfortunately. And then realizing, you know, there must be a better way. And understanding stress and understanding childhood trauma is the key thing um, is, is pivotal uh, if we're going to make any major progression here. So, listen, thank you so much for your insights um, and your time today to share with me some of your um, information. What about for people, our, our audience today listening, who maybe want to learn a little bit more, read a book? bit more about this information where would you encourage them to go to for this well you can certainly start uh, with my book which is called uh, they can't find anything wrong it's available uh, through uh, you can get information about it through my website which is stressillness.com and there are links to uh, other good sources of information uh, on that website as well well, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to reading that book. It's, it's on its way, um, and I'll be reading that in the next few weeks. So thank you so much. Uh, again, really appreciate this time, and uh, wish all the best in your endeavors. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Thank you.